listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. jump into Daniel, but since today is family worship, uh, what I like to do is begin with a kid's story. So if you are a kid, uh, elementary or younger, uh, come on down. I'm going to read a story out of uh, the book of Daniel for us. It is actually going to be from, uh, I read out of this book last time, uh, the biggest story Bible storybook. It's a great book. Uh, so make sure if you are looking for a uh, something for your kids, a companion uh, to your family devotions, grab this book. It's amazing. The biggest story Bible story book. So I'll be reading out of this. Now today's story actually comes from Daniel chapter five. And so if you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm confused by this story, we'll talk more about it next week, you know, in big church. Um, but this is for today. So this is a quick preview. And if you love the story, if, if you just grasped all this, you don't have to be here next week because it's the same story. Okay. Uh, I'm just kidding. So this is actually coming from Daniel chapter five. They didn't have a chapter in here on Daniel chapter four. So we're going to go with Daniel chapter five. It's a good one, yeah. All right, y'all listen up, you ready? Nebuchadnezzar could be a ruthless king. After all, he was the one who conquered Judah and sent the exiles packing. And he was the one who ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and... To bed we go. To bed we go, that's right, good job. Into the fiery furnace. But at times, Nebuchadnezzar showed a different side, like when he saw an angel walking among the flames. On another occasion, God made the king walk on all fours as a wild animal in order to teach him who was really in charge. By the end of his life, Nebuchadnezzar learned that it was better to be humble than to be proud. The same cannot be said about the next king of Babylon, King Belshazzar. Everybody say Belshazzar. Belshazzar. Good job. Was enjoying a great feast with a thousand of his noblemen. The king and his wives and his officials were drinking wine together. And they were drinking that wine from the vessels of gold and silver that the Babylonians stole from the temple in Jerusalem. These were among the holy things that priests had used to worship the Lord their God. As they were partying, the fingers of a human hand appeared out of nowhere and started writing on the wall. The king went pale. His arms fell. His heart raced. His knees buckled. Belshazzar was very afraid. You would be too, wouldn't you? This is like Halloween on steroids. The king summoned, I'll let parents explain that when you get home. Okay. The king summoned, you're welcome. The king summoned the wise men of Babylon to read the writing on the wall, but they did not know what it meant. The king and his nobles were frightened and confused. Just then, the queen had an idea. There's a man named Daniel. He used to interpret dreams and solve riddles for your father. He will know what the writing means. So Daniel was brought in before the king. Belshazzar offered him honors and wealth if he could interpret the writing. Daniel said, you can keep your gifts and give them to someone else. Nevertheless, I will tell you what this means. What Daniel said next must have been hard for the king to hear. God gave your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, great success. But when he was proud, the Lord humbled him. The God of heaven taught your father a lesson, but you have not learned this lesson. You have not been humble before God. 
You even brought in the holy vessels for your drinking party. You have not honored God, and he will not honor you. Then Daniel interpreted the writing on the wall. The words, mene, mene. Y'all say, mene, mene. Good job. It means that your days are numbered. The word tekel, y'all say tekel. Okay, most of y'all did pretty good. Means that you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. And the word parsin, y'all say parsin. Good job. Means your kingdom will be divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. The king was pleased that Daniel had interpreted the dream, but that night the king was killed and a new king took over. Belshazzar never learned one of the most important lessons in life. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's right. All right, good job, y'all. I'll go back to your, see your families. Thank y'all for hanging out with me. So we've seen a few things, a few recurring themes throughout the book of Daniel thus far, and we'll be landing right here in Daniel, the very end of Daniel chapter four. So far, we've seen that for many of us, we don't realize today, 2022 America, we don't realize that we are in exile. We think that this is our home. And we used the illustration several weeks ago. If you were to ask a fish, what is water? The fish would say, water? What do you mean water? I can't describe water to you because it's inundated there. That's its life. But when we look at Daniel and his three friends, the three amigos, we see here that they were able to, if you look back at chapter one, there were small invitations by the enemy, just real small ones. Eat our food, take our name, go to our places of education, do these small things, look like us. And what did they do? Some of those they took on, but at some point they drew a line in the sand, we are not going to adopt these things from you. We know that these things are temptations by the enemy. Very small ones, very subtle, almost seemingly mundane. But then we get to chapter three, and we saw this two weeks ago. In chapter three, the king says, bow down and worship the idol or else you will be killed. And what do the three do? They say no. They didn't just wake up one morning and they had capitulated to the culture over and over in these small things and then say, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm going to reject the culture when it comes to big stuff. No, not at all. Even in the small temptations, the small invitations by the enemy, they said, this is not who we are because they recognized, they realized that they were in exile. For us, the way this looks for us, even here this morning, when we give in, when we capitulate, when we surrender to the culture, we begin to adopt and to adapt their gods, their values, their perspectives, their principles, our own self-reliance, the fact that we don't need God. And last week, Caleb talked about hubris, a pride that ultimately leads to destruction. That comes not, boom, immediately, but it's a small thing when we in the mundane things of life, begin to give in to this idolatry. It creeps in. Friends, we must recognize that we are exiles. And we're gonna see here this morning, if you're already in Daniel chapter four, uh, then we, we're gonna see right here, beginning of verse number 28. If you're not there, go there with me, Daniel chapter four. But we're gonna see that the mundane faithfulness of Daniel and his three friends, their mundane faithfulness 
even in the small things, leads to the salvation of King Nebuchadnezzar. It's wild. Again, they just didn't wake up one morning, boom, big stuff. No, in the very small things, we see this Gentile king, he surrenders to the king of the Gentiles. This Gentile king, as a result of their faithfulness in the mundane, this Gentile king surrenders to the king of the Gentiles. Psalm chapter 119, I want you to repeat these words after me. Make this our prayer this morning as we open and hear from the very mouth of God. Open my eyes that I might receive your wonderful word to me. Amen. Verse 28, I'm gonna read these verses to us. In verse 28, it says, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. While the words were still on the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar. To you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word fulfilled was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Now we just saw this in the kid's story. We see this in chapter five. It references back here to chapter four. But if we notice, let's, let's go back and we're gonna walk through these verses quickly. I'm going to speak quickly. Are y'all okay with listening quickly? Okay, Awesome. I figured y'all would be. So if we pick up right there in verse number 28, all of this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. So he had had this vision that he was going to be destroyed. And we saw this last week. If you weren't here last week, if you forgot what happened in the first 27 verses of this chapter, go back and listen to that. But King Neb had a dream where there was this giant tree and the tree fell and it was conquered, it was defeated. And that represented King Nebuchadnezzar. Like his, his kingdom was going to crash. He was going to crash because of his hubris, because of his pride. We don't know the time, we don't know why God waited this 12 months. It may have been that when King Neb heard that dream, he said, you know what? I'm going to spend these 12 months trying to follow this, this, this true God. And so maybe those 12 months look like remorse. It may have been that he was just like, you know what? Forget the interpretation of this dream. I'm going to live however I want. And then finally God's mercy ran out. We don't know what that 12 months looked like for Neb, but we know what happened at the end of that 12 months. We see his heart on full display here. It says, at the end of the 12 months, verse 20, 29, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace in Babylon. Now, what we need to know is that King Neb had not one palace in Babylon, not two palaces in Babylon, but good job, kids. Okay, he had three palaces in Babylon. And the big one that he had right there in the center of Babylon, at the very top, it had one of the seven wonders of the world at that time. And that was the hanging gardens. It was these beautiful gardens. And I imagine that King Neb was there walking around these hanging gardens there in the palace. And he's saying, man, look how awesome these gardens are. The reason that he had those hanging gardens is because his wife said, I want to have this beautiful garden on top of this palace. So here's the moral of the story, friends. If your girl wants it, you go and get it for her, okay? That's somewhere in the Hebrew. Um, we got one amen. Come on, ladies. 
So if your girl wants to hang, whatever she wants, you go and get that for her, okay? So King Neb went and did that. The problem was he started worshiping those things. So he's walking around up on top of this. Notice in verse number 30. And the king answered and said, now notice his use of personal pronouns, I and my. Verse 30. Is this not great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? We're going to see seven truths in this passage this morning. We see four that pertain to King Neb, and we see three from the perspective of Daniel. The first one that we see, the first truth for us this morning from the perspective of King Neb is this. You cannot look down on others while looking up to God. You cannot look down. Look how great I am. Can't y'all worship me? Look at, look at me while also worshiping God. Verse number 31 while the words were still on the king's mouth, he hadn't even finished that sentence yet. There fell a voice from heaven, O King Neb, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. God's like, now you see it, now you don't. Magic trick, boom, right now. Sorry, Neb, I told you at the beginning of this chapter, there was this great tree. It was going to fall if you did not repent because of your pride, because of your hubris, because of your self-reliance. It has fallen. It's happening right now after 12 months. Boom, it happens. Verse 32, and you shall be driven from among men. And he's made to eat grass. He's made, everybody say the word, sorry, boanthropy. If I can say the word, yeah, we'll all mispronounce it together. So boanthropy uh, is actually a mental condition where you act like either a cow or an ox. Now, I, think he, I don't think he all of a sudden just caught this virus or this disorder, but it was given to him by God. But he begins acting just like an ox out in the field. This wasn't No Shave November, okay? This wasn't just a bad hair day. It wasn't some bad split ends. This was Tom Hanks on Castaway, times a million. Dude needed a spa day. He was terrible. He's out there like an ox in the field for seven years. He's dealing with this boanthropy. He's dealing with this. I think what's interesting is we look back so far. So we see, so we're going to leave off in these verses in verse number 33, and then we're going to jump to verse number 34. But we see Neb for seven years. It says seven periods of time. Most theologians, historians would say that that means seven years. For seven years, he was out there acting like this. This is the judgment of God upon a man who would not humble himself. He did not recognize God as God, but now he would. It reminds me of back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they came face to face with a tree. And what was the lie of the spirit of Babylon, the enemy there? You will be made to be like a god if you just take some of this fruit. What happened to Adam and Eve? They were cast out of the Garden of Eden. They were sent away from the presence of God as judgment. Here we see King Neb. He's confronted with a tree at the beginning of chapter 4. It says, this is you, old great king. And King Neb says, yes, I want to be like a god. I want people to see me and to worship me. And as a result, he is cast out and made like an ox for seven years. You cannot look up at God while looking down at others. But then we get to verse number 34. And this is where I said at the beginning, I think, uh, I think King Neb was actually, I, I think we're going to see him in heaven. Some people would say, well, this was just a, uh, 
this just was just an aberration in the narrative of King Neb. This is the very end of King Neb that we see here. And I would imagine if the author wanted us to see something else, he would have placed it in here. We've seen several intentional, uh, deliberate writing styles by the author of Daniel. We also notice here that King Neb actually wrote this portion of the Bible. So this is written first person by him. Look, let's look at verse number 34. I'm going to read this, and then we'll go back and discuss it. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. So at the end of those seven long years, he lifts his eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay in his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Here's the second thing that I want us to see from the life of King Neb this morning. God humbles people so that they may come to know him. The reason that God humbled Neb is so that he would come to know him. I actually think of King Neb kind of, kind of like the, the Kanye of Babylon. It's like, is he a Christian or is he not? Like Kanye, I'm not sure. King Neb, I think we can land on it. It looks like he is. You see, I think we're going to be able to talk to King Neb once we get to heaven, which is pretty wild. But we see here in verse number 36, his reason returned to him. He's able to look back. He's able to say, here, my pride has led to a fall, but here, my confession has led to me being restored. Hubris, friends, listen, hubris must always lead to humiliation. Your pride will be humbled. That is the way of Christ. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus is that your pride will be removed and you will be given humility either in this life or in the next for all of eternity. We can look and compare here King Neb and King Jesus, the way of Neb before he was converted, I think, and the way of Jesus. You see, King Neb, he was just a mere man, but Jesus Christ was the eternal God. Neb was merciless. Jesus is merciful. Neb is sinful. Jesus is sinless. Neb aspired to be sovereign. Jesus aspired to be a servant. Neb exalted himself and was humbled by God. Jesus Christ humbled himself and was exalted by God. Humility is the way of Christ. The third thing that we see here is that God humbles the mighty that one day they might rise again. We see throughout the New Testament, Paul writes on this a lot. We must die to ourselves so that we can have eternal life. Humility in this life leads to being exalted with Christ for all of eternity. James 4, God opposes the proud. We saw it at the very end of the kid's story. James 4, 6, I believe. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the, he gives grace to the humble. And if we look back actually at verse number 15 in this chapter, 
we see here a glimmer of this promise. Caleb said this last week, but we have the, the tree that fell. It was destroyed. But what does God say in the dream? He says, leave the stump there with the roots. I, th I think that's interesting. There's, there's bands of silver and bronze on this stump. The entire thing is not destroyed because, friend, he can redeem your failure. So if you think this morning, you don't understand what I have done. You don't understand the depravity of my sin. You don't understand how far away I've run from him. I would say to you, friend, you don't understand the depths of Christ's mercy. It's not about how bad you are. It's about how good Christ is. He humbled himself so that you could be exalted with him for all time. The fourth thing that I think we see here in the life of Neb is that he's not trying to pay you back, but Christ may be trying to bring you back. God wants to redeem your failure. That's why that stump is left there. As a reminder, yeah, you're not perfect. You don't have everything figured out. You need me in my grace, in my mercy, in my power to redeem you. You can't do it by yourself. But he is faithful and he is able to redeem your failure. So God does not want to pay you back, but he wants to bring you back. I think if we look back at verse number 19, so that's, that's the perspective of King Neb. And then I, we don't see anything else about him. In the next chapter, we jump ahead a couple of decades but I want us to look back from the perspective of Daniel. So we began here. Here's the perspective of Daniel and the, and the three musketeers, that they are in exile, but they know that they are in exile. So they respond to those leaders there in Babylon, not with disdain, but with respect. They don't argue with them. Oh, well, he's back, back here in Jerusalem, we had it this way. No, they don't give in to the values and the culture of Babylon but they loved him. Look back at verse number 19 with me, if you would. He touched on this last week. Notice what Daniel says. After he got through interpreting this dream of King Neb going to be a tree that's going to be fell, he says, then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar, Daniel, answered and said, my lord, May the dream, which is the dream of destruction, of God's just wrath, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretations for your enemies. Notice the love that Daniel has here for King Neb. It sounds a lot like Matthew chapter 5, verse number 44, right? Where it says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Consider the perspective of Daniel here. Here are three things that I think we see from this life of Daniel because up to this point, even in the mundane, Daniel and the other three have been faithful. They have been faithful for King Neb's salvation. Here's what I want us to walk away with this morning as we continue the perspective of Daniel. First, you cannot hate people and reach people at the same time. If Daniel and the other three had come in and said, man, we, we really, uh, Neb, we can't stand you. We hate you. We're going to disobey. We're going to, when you tell us to bow at, the, at this giant worship service for this idol, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna raise something, you know, fill in the blank. We're going to raise it. And we're going to say, I can't believe y'all, this is crazy. 
But they simply stood there and they said, no, we're going to stand for our God. Now, consider how Neb had treated Daniel up to this point. Neb had taken Daniel and his three friends from Jerusalem. He had taken them from their families. He had turned them into eunuchs. He had made them into vegetarians. He sent them to the Babylonian school to learn about astrology and to be diviners. He'd taken everything away from them. And Daniel still loved King Neb. He still had the heart of God the Father. He still had the heart of Christ for King Neb. You cannot hate people and reach them at the same time. Secondly, I would say this for us this morning. If you want to see someone saved, make sure that they are served. If you want to see someone saved, make sure that they are served. Jesus Christ came as, a, as Isaiah calls him, a suffering servant. He came to humble himself, to serve lovingly. I think this applies here on Sunday mornings. We have serve teams that get here early to make coffee, to set things out, to make it convenient for those of us uh, who are here week in, week out, but also for those of us who are new. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. I would encourage you to be reaching out to your neighbors, to be hospitable to those that you can bring in and say, this is what the grace and mercy and family of God looks like. Be part of a life group who is serving each other and serving those around you. If you want to see someone saved, you need to see them served. Here's the, the last thing. Here's a question I want us to, to end with. As we consider Daniel, he had Nebuchadnezzar who was close to him, but who was far from God. He loved him. He served him to the point where King Neb found salvation and the glory and the majesty of Christ here at the end of the chapter. So the question for us this morning, and I want you to think about this, write this down. Who is close to you, but far from God? Who is close to you, but far from God? Maybe this is somebody in your life who you don't just want them to have a better life, but you want them to have eternal life. You don't want them to just have a better marriage, a better relationship with their spouse, but a better relationship with creator God. I want you to write that person's name down, whoever that is. Write it in your phone. Consider that. May we be like Daniel in this sense that we are loving and serving those around us. When we look back at verse number three, here, here's why and how that's possible. Here's how this passage points to Jesus in a real explicit way. In the fact that we can look at Daniel and say, man, he was a terrible king and it led to this demise. His pride led him to this humility. He wanted to exalt himself and he was humiliated. But look back at verse number 33 with me. And then let's think about Jesus Christ who was humiliated for us so that we could be exalted with him. So if you go back and look at verse number three, 33, it says the king that was driven from among men. And when we think about Jesus Christ, he was placed, he was driven from the city to a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. He was driven out by men, by us, by sinners. It says that King Neb ate grass like an ox. Jesus Christ was treated like an animal, like the perfect righteous lamb that we needed. It says here that, that King Neb was covered. His body was wet with the dew of heaven. When we look at Christ, when we think back on him, his body was not just wet with dew, but it was wet with, with spit from other people as they mocked him. 
His body was drenched in blood as he had been beaten and his beard pulled out. We see here that Neb, his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, but the hair from Jesus' face was plucked from his beard. And we see here that, that Neb, his nails were like bird's claws. But in Christ's humiliation, he took nails in his wrists and in his feet for us. Neb here was humiliated because of his pride. Jesus was humiliated because of our pride, because of our sin, because we deserved the wrath and the destruction of the Father. Jesus Christ took that on himself. His body was broken, his blood was shed so that we could have life eternal with him. The invitation is here for us this morning to respond in faith. You can either build your kingdom like Neb and eventually be humiliated, or you can respond to the King of Kings who calls you by name, who has a plan for your life, who wants to redeem any failure that you think is too great. His grace, his mercy, it's greater still. His mercy is yet deeper. So I would plead with you if you never have to respond in faith to Jesus Christ who has paid the penalty of sin for you. For those of us who are believers, we step into this time of communion. We have up here in stations in the back, broken pieces of bread that represent the body of Christ that was broken for us. And the juice represents the blood of Christ, which is his righteousness that covers us so that when God the Father looks at me and looks at you, he sees Christ's sacrifice for us. And so friends, as we partake in this, we are declaring our humility and our need. There is no place for pride in this place of communion. We are also declaring to each other, and this is a reminder for us this week that we are declaring to a lost world that we worship and serve the King of Kings. So may that be on our lips this week. May we be declaring that good news in the midst of so much darkness. May we be reminded that we are exiles calling other exiles into hope that can only be found in Jesus Christ, whose kingdom and grace and dominion is everlasting. So family, you're invited to join me at one of these stations for this meal of communion.